And now, The Travel Show with Arthur and Pauline Fromer. Your chance to talk to the publishers of the nation's best-selling travel guide series. Whether your travel destination is around your corner or any corner of the world, the Fromers will help you get the most out of your travel experience and save you money at the same time. And now, Arthur and Pauline Fromer. And this is The Travel Show, in which we talk about vacations. Welcome. I'm Arthur Fromer. And I'm Pauline Fromer. And in the time ahead, we're going to be discussing travel. And that's where you might come in. We would love to hear from you if you have a question or if you're a potential guest in the travel industry or in travel journalism. Give us an email at tofromertravelshow at yahoo.com. As well, if you're just a traveler, we hope that you will use our services beyond this show. Uh, Fromers is a longtime guidebook company. You can find our books wherever books are sold. You can also find our website at fromers.com. That's F-R-O-M-M-E-R-S. Dot com. Uh, it's a great website, lots of really useful travel information created in a journalistic fashion because n- no company that you read about on our website or hear about on our show for that matter will ever have been have paid to be covered by us. Finally, follow us on social media. You'll find the word Fromers at Instagram, Pinterest, uh Facebook, Twitter, you name it, we're there. Now, I would like to start today's program by apologizing about returning to a subject that we've already (laughs) discussed in part on previous broadcasts, but there's been an important new twist to that subject. You, You may recall that we spoke at length about the insolvency of one of the most prestigious tour companies on earth recently, the the insolvency of Britain's Thomas Cook and Company, one of the oldest such firms that halted operations a few weeks ago, stranding tens of thousands of people. They were all Brits, mainly Brits, 10% were, were Americans at various resorts in Europe. Thomas Cook was 150 years old, and the lesson from its disaster is that you should always purchase travel insurance for any tour that you book that is operated by anybody other than a, than a government, yeah. if it's a government, they're not going to they're not going to renege on their obligations. But a private company, even this one as solid as Thomas Cook just did. Now, would you believe that Thomas Cook's problems have now been duplicated just a couple of weeks later? by a larger and even older tour company called Cox and Kings of, of the Americas. Cox yep. and Kings began operating tours in the year 1758. 1758? And that, according to my mathematics, is 250 years ago. A company that old. But they weren't a travel company They back were then. a travel company even then. They would take, really? take you on a camel, probably, <laughs> mainly in India. They started out in India, but then they created subsidiaries uh, in the UK, in Britain, and 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 in the US. And in the US. They have ceased operations. And although it's the the problems relate to a subsidiary of Cox and Kings called Cox and Kings the Americas, 
Uh, and it, it is not presently known whether the parent company is also in travel or whether the subsidiary country in Great Britain is also in travel. That trouble. hasn't yet. Nevertheless, uh, there is uh, there are disturbances that have been caused by the apparent termination of its American subsidiary. So the lesson has been learned again with even more emphasis than before. If, co- if companies so long uh, in existence and so prestigious, not only of, uh, as uh, Thomas Cook, but also as Cox and Kings, if they can go at least partially insolvent, it behooves every travel passenger to take out insurance in advance against that possibility. And you do that, you perform that act by going to one of three major uh, websites. One is called insuremytrip.com. Another is called squaremouth.com. A third is called travelinsurance.com. Uh, and uh, Pauline, uh, I, there, there are others I would those assume. Are, those the, are the top ones. And you, when you go to them, you'll get a list of possible insurance policies. Yeah. Not all will cover insolvency. So you have to make sure that the the going belly up of the company you're traveling with is actually covered by the policy because it, it isn't always. But on those sites, you'll get very clear and easy to understand lists of what's covered and what isn't. And again, once again, just imagine a company formed in the year wow. 1758 and hmm. operating successfully in all the ensuing 250 years. That company has suddenly gone insolvent, at least in part, uh, in the year 2019. And incidentally, there's even a third company that went went belly up up to a a much smaller company called JG Worldwide. And it Hmm. had debts of several millions of dollars and, and apparently hardly any assets at all. And because of that, the $1 million security that they had posted with the United States Tour Operators Association will not be large enough to make whole all of the people who operated with them. Now, wow. is anyone, no one in the travel industry, as far as I've been able to, uh, to understand, has been able to, under, to explain why three insolvencies all co- occurred within the same two-week period. It may be because of the increasing tendency of Americans not to make use of tour companies, to use the huh. internet to book your hotels and to book your airfare and all the rest by yourself. And well, maybe, maybe that's cut back on the amount of business that has gone to Thomas Cook. I know Cook. some people were blaming Thomas's Cook Thomas Cook's problems on the fact that they still had a lot of bricks and mortar travel agencies. So they had a lot of rent to pay. They had people sitting in those agencies and people tend to just book online nowadays. So that might have been part of it. I do think people are still taking tours. I, I, I don't know. But possibly it's, they're taking tours in lesser numbers and they, they, that were not anticipated I, by Thomas Cook. I'm not Cook. sure. Nevertheless, Thomas Cook went under, and, and, and here at least a part of Cox and Kings, yeah, COX shocking. and Kings of India has gone under. Now, what else has been happening recently in travel? You may recall that several weeks ago there were a number of suspicious deaths among uh, deaths, and D-E-A-T-H, among yeah. tourists who were staying at resort hotels in the Dominican Republic. And at the time, there was considerable discussion in the press that these tragedies may have occurred because they were served tainted alcohol. Right. In fact, the articles that I read all said it was they all clear that that, that, that was the, the reason case. a that particular couple all both died 
at the same time that other people both died as well as that they were drinking tainted alcohol that had been served to them at their resort hotel in the uh, Dominican Republic. As a result of those announcements, tourism to the Dominican Republic has been badly re- hurt Plummeted. in recent years, recent uh, months. months or yeah. Some tour operators claimed that the bookings to the Dominican Republic had actually plummeted. Well, would you believe that our own FBI, having investigated the matter, has now announced that there was no tainted alcohol in the bodies of the tourists who died there. And not it, only no, t- they no- did toxicology reports on those bodies. They looked at the bodies, they looked at everything. Not only was it not tainted alcohol, they could find no uh, I, uh, anything that looked like foul play. They thought it was natural causes that caused these people to die. And interestingly, fewer people died during this time in the DR, Few, fewer than, tourists than, than usual. People. But they, they, deaths all occurred co- near each other, all yeah. in, in the same area. Uh, and you apparently know, the FBI has concluded that it was absolutely co- coincidental yep. that several Tourist couples died. Well, only fact- one tourist couple died, and and you got to think. Well, maybe I hate to say it this way, but maybe it was true love. Maybe he <laughs> had an article, uh, you know, a heart attack and died. But why she did came she also and, die? Well, because she fa- found him, and it was such a shock to her system that she that died. She I mean, died. that happens. Well, I don't know. I <laughs> <laughs> don't laugh. Don't laugh. The, the, have, uh, the reason we are talking about this, the reason that I am announcing this is that I think we owe a debt to the Dominican Republic. All the investigating organizations yep. have found that the deaths of several tourists in the Dominican Republic were absolutely coincidental, yep. and there was no need to regard the Dominican Republic as unsafe. In fact, and, I am going to the Dominican Republic in a couple of weeks, and really? I will be reporting back on what I see there in a future show. But I'm, I'm, I for one, I'm grateful that it was all natural causes. It's that makes na- me feel a little bit more confident I, I am going to the DR. Though that you're not going to take a drink of alcohol, I will. You, damn it, <laughs> I will. I will test it all out. Well, I would. Uh, all right. It, okay. No, the FBI found that that wasn't the issue. Um, it, it, you know, I think part of this problem was that the government of the Dominican Republic really reacted in a, in a not helpful way. They All were right. very defensive. They didn't want to even acknowledge that there could be a well, problem. And anybody, I think the way they have ever reacted in that manner here. Would well, have, they turned would out have, to have been right. There wasn't a, an issue. It, there was there, a couple that both died. I know, I know that time. it's but, very strange. It was very strange, but the FBI looked into that particular set of deaths and found no foul play. Well, Ian, I've heard that the FBI is continuing its investigation. Well, we'll Maybe see. they will discover another. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see, but I'm going to be going there. I will report on it. And my daughter, who is a teenager, actually was there during the time of those deaths, and she found it to be absolutely a fine, safe place to visit. And if you look at it statistically, it's no more dangerous than anywhere else. We have to take a break. We'll be right back.
Welcome back. It's a special day here at the Travel Show because one of our own, Jason Cochran, who we're proud to say is the editor-in-chief of Fromers.com, has written a wonderful book. It's called Here Lies America, Buried Agendas and Family Secrets at the Tourist Sites Were Bad History. And down with the Travel Show, Jason. <laughs> Thank I'm you. also here reviewing your book. <laughs> Hi, Arthur. So, um, would it be fair to say that this book is about dark tourism, and how would you define that? In a way, I I actually see it more about uh, American mythology, because I went to all the places in the United States that exist as tourist sites because something really terrible happened there. So we're talking battlefields, places where, where floods happened. As long as it was an important tourist attraction, you know, parking lot and gift shop, then I would go to it. I think dark tourism sometimes can be more ghoulish, like, you know, let's try to find traces of disaster, let's go to Chernobyl. But for me, I wanted to, go, I wanted to know about the places that we Americans say made us more American. Well, I got to ask, why did you decide to do this? I'm not really sure. At first, I thought it would just be a fun <laughs> lark. I'm a, I'm a history buff. It's one of the greatest things about travel to me is when I go somewhere, I can learn a whole new timeline of events uh, for either another country or even another era. So I find that fascinating, and it's always my favorite part of any trip. So I kind of wanted to do it for myself in my own country, and I wanted to know a little bit about how, how tourism presents America to the people who want to find it that way. Right. Well, you also start with your own family history because you you start your first chapter. I mean, there is a prequel, but the first chapter takes place where your great 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 grandfather. Am I two two great? Okay, two great grandfathers was buried. He was killed in a horrifying train crash. He was actually the engineer, right? Right. And uh, yeah, I thought it was only fair, because my, my great-great-grandfather, we, I knew very little about him. The family lore only was that he was killed in a train crash. But he's buried in one of the places that I wanted to visit uh, for this book. It's called the uh, Oakland Cemetery. It's in Atlanta. It's one of the oldest cemeteries in town, and it has cultivated itself as a tourist attraction. They have concerts there, and they have plantings in the springtime, and they tell you where to find the flowers. So I wanted to go. Um, and while I was there, I decided I'll try to find the grave of my great-great-grandfather because I had no idea where it was. Right. And I think that's how it started. I thought, to be fair, if I'm going to talk about things that killed other people's relatives, <laughs> I should probably be only fair and investigate mine as well. Right. And, and what's so brilliant about the book is how you weave in all the stories, not just of your grandfather, but of also the other people in the graveyard, one of whom was a, a long-lost poetess. Yeah, uh, Ida yeah, and her, her, her girlfriend Aurelia. <laughs> she was a, a turn-of-the-century, meaning the last-century poet that favored language of the lost South and really poetic flower stuff, flowery stuff academic stuff. Um, and she was quite popular in, at the time, especially in the South, but this cemetery didn't even know she was there. She was in none of the materials. Right. Uh, and so I, right there in the cemetery, started started researching her. And it's something you can do at any tourist site you go to, especially a cemetery, 
Yeah. You can look at the sign and start looking, start because the phones now make that possible, which is wonderful. Well, I think that people who read your book will have a better idea of how to do that because you also kind of interpret a lot of the symbols one sees at memorials. Once again, we're speaking with Jason Cochran, our good friend. He is the author of a terrific new book called Here Lies America, Buried Agendas and Family Secrets at the Tourist Sites Where Bad History Went Down. Now, and Jason, of course, you have written about the battles of the Civil War, and I was so impressed by the heavy loss of life that was experienced on both sides, not only the Confederate side, but on the Union side in these various battles. And the the whole thing brought to my mind the claim by many that the reason that the Union uh, eventually excelled in in the war was because Ulysses Grant accepted the tremendous loss of life by thousands of Union soldiers, uh, despite the fact that they conf- they defeated the Confederate side uh, on these occasions. And what's so interesting about that moment is I think even the moment at Appomattox has been looked at differently by both sides. I think very many people in the Union thought, shoot, this is over. Let's not talk about this again. And in the South, it was it's over for now. Right. Uh, because there was, even during Reconstruction, and afterward, there was this simmering resentment that continued on. And that actually leads me to one of the, the most interesting discoveries for my book. You know, we've all been talking about what happened in Charlottesville a few years ago, but there's a reason that all these statues suddenly appeared across the landscape. And it was because there was a group of women uh, who, who made a concerted effort to place them there when you around say, the oh, turn of the last century. Yeah, when you say all these statues, you mean Confederate memorials. Yeah, I don't know if most people are aware, you know, when you drive to the Old South and you see town square after town square, and there's a Johnny Reb statue, it seems to be in front of every single courthouse or sure. school you see, you could have ordered those out of a, out of a catalog huh. at the turn of the last century. And a number of women's groups, especially the United Daughters of the Confederacy, would then help you pay for it, would help you lobby the politicians in town to get that in front of a school, not in the graveyard where it would be lost, but in front of something, somewhere where people would see it. And it was a whole, me- a whole organized movement to try to get these statues put up. But it wasn't until the turn of the last century, well, 50 years after the last shot had been fired. So, I so think, that was one of the most fascinating things I've yeah, discovered. I think most, even at the historic site. Most people would assume, oh, these statues were put up by grieving widows and parents and others, and that wasn't the case at all. These all got erected, as you say, 50 years later in a, an attempt to win the PR war about the war? Would that be fair to say? That would be fair to say. Um, and they, they, they made sure to put them not only in towns, but also at the actual historic site. So that when people would go to learn about the battle, they would see sort of a the idealized version that uh, the New South wanted people to believe in. Right. Uh, it's a fascinating movement, and it was extraordinarily successful. Because even to this day, we have a deference for these uh, statues and these memorials, thinking that they were put up in the 1870s, right. when in fact the people who designed and paid for them never saw a single bullet fly. Well, we have, to, we have to take a first break, but we will be back with Jason Cochran to discuss more. If you're tuning in late, once again, he's the author of a terrific new book. It's called Here Lies America, Buried Agendas and Family Secrets at Tourist Sites Where Bad History Went Down. We'll be right back.
You're listening to the Fromer Travel Show. I'm Pauline Fromer with my father, Arthur Fromer. And on the line, we have Jason Cochran. He's the editor-in-chief of Fromers.com. But more importantly for this discussion, he's written a terrific new book. It's called Here Lies America, Buried Agendas and Family Secrets at the Tourist Sites Where Bad History Went Down. And the most, the, the thing that made me laugh out loud in this book is you talk about the Battle of Manassas which happened at the very, very start of the Civil War. And people actually showed up thinking they could have a picnic there while the battle was going on. Can, can you talk a little bit about that? <laughs> yeah, it was, it was probably the first and last time people thought that going to a war battle would be a good idea. Well, when the Civil War began, people just thought it would be a little skirmish and then over. They right. thought, well, we'll teach those Southerners or those Virginians what, what this is all about and it'll be finished. So people actually came out from Washington because it's not too, too far away, and spread out picnic, you know, p- picnics and sat to watch in the valley or out in front of them. The battle happened. Very quickly went wrong because it was a, it was a melee, and uh, very quickly the tourists were, were subsumed by the fleeing soldiers. And, in fact, a few of them were even captured hmm. and put in prison. Oh, my goodness. And then many years later, you went to a recreation of that battle where you felt, because you were a tourist, you were maybe more authentic than the people recreating. Is that fair to say? Let's <laughs> say that, that the people who were recreating did not look like the people who were actually in the Civil War, did not talk like them, uh, and they had the luxury of getting up afterwards. It's, 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 it was quite an experience to go through one of these Civil War reenactments. Well, I, I love how you describe it. You say they're kind of lying there after they've died, and they sit up so they can watch the rest of the battle going on, maybe pick a few flowers around them. So we're not too <laughs> far away from the original tourists of Manassas, I think. Yeah. Were you about to say something, Dad? I was about to point out that the uh, Union side called this the Battle of Bull Run, not Manassas. That's right. And, 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 one and, of the and it's always been it. known by that name to me. I was astonished to discover the name Manassas. Well, this is one of the things I learned about the tourist site when I went, is they're not allowed to call it Bull Run. Huh. Because the people who donated the land were Southerners. Hmm. And of one course, of the conditions of was, you're not allowed to call it by the Northern name. So this is the way that all of these little manipulations work their way down to us when we're tourists in ways that we don't even realize until we start digging, which is what my book was really all about, at at about 70 of these different sites and not just the Civil War. Right. Well, if you want to get his book, once again, it's called Here Lies America. And one of the non-Civil War sites that you go to is where the the Battle of Wounded Knee took place. Can you talk a little bit about that and the Native American history that that has gone into creating these memorials? It's it's interesting because in addition to the ones we do honor these places, there's a whole bunch that we don't, even though they were just as important to American history, and that's one of them. Uh, There can't be a national historic site where the Battle of Wounded Knee happened. This is a massacre of people uh, in, in extreme South Dakota. Um, it was one of those many native slaughters that, you know, the, um, the Americans perpetrated right. in the dead of winter. And, uh, but there can't be a historic site because it is Indian, it is native land. Uh, and you cannot, of course, put a federal site on native land. And what's more, the Lakota people want it to be like this overgrown um, for their graves to be overgrown because that's part of their tradition. So when you go there, you will find no signs really to speak of. You'll find a, an American Indian movement museum, but it's really like one room with Xeroxes stuck to the wall. So it's, it's a very, very intentionally not what all the other historic sites in America 
as a consequence, almost nobody goes, hmm. which is really too bad. It's such an important part of our history. Well, and you were warned about going there. People felt it would be dangerous to go to this Indian re- reservation. The, not the Native Americans said said that, uh, but no. but uh, the white folks you met. Well, you and I, Pauline, know from our work at Fromers that we're, people often think things are unsafe if they're not popular, but that's not necessarily the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about some more contemporary memorials. Give us some of the backstory on the making of the Martin Luther King Memorial. That is an interesting one. Uh, I don't know if you've seen it, but it's standing on the mall, or off the mall in Washington, D.C. It opened about five years ago, but that had a very interesting development. If you go there, you, there are lots of quotes carved into the wall that he, he said in his lifetime. Almost none of them have to do with racism and civil rights. Hmm. Of course, he did lots of other work in you know, economic disparity and, and other things that earned him the Peace Prize, but none of his quotes about American racism were on the walls. And I asked one of the, the directors, why is this? And he said it was very intentionally because they don't want people to sort of remember him that way. They'd rather remember him as a, as a broader thinker. Huh. Uh, which is interesting to think now, when you go to his memorial in 100 years, I think our generation all knows him about for, for his work in, in racial divisions. Sure. But in 100 years, if this is the only information people have, they're not going to realize that, yeah. which I find fascinating. And what's, what's also, they had to pay the King family to license his image, which I also found very strange that the family mm. was actually paid to make his memorial. But it doesn't, in certain ways, I don't think it looks all that much like him because I think he's probably rolling over knowing that it wasn't created in the United States so that people yeah, could have gotten jobs to create this. It's a Chinese sculpture, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it's, it, the whole story is very interesting. Um, I, 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 the book is funny because I try very hard not to get down in the muck and get, get political, and it's cer- super, cer- certainly not ghoulish or, or gory. Right. So I try to be funny, and I realized as I was standing in front of this statue of him, he looks a lot like Han Solo encased in carbonite <laughs> at the end of Empire Strikes Back. I mean, wow. that's a movie that my generation loves. He's sort of coming out of this rock, but frozen. It's a little, for my generation, sort of a disturbing image. Well, it's, it's an absolutely fascinating book going through the history of what got memorials, what didn't, who put them up, and why. Um, and as Jason said, it's not at all ghoulish. It's actually laugh-out-loud funny at points. Once again, we have been talking with Jason Cochran, who is the author of a terrific new book called Here Lies America, Buried Agendas and Family Secrets at the Tourist Sites Where Bad History Went Down. Thank you so much, Jason, for appearing on The Travel Show. Thanks for having me. the travel show on the line we have jackie snow she's a freelance writer who contributes to the new york times travel section and she did a very very helpful article recently called how to get ahead before going away consider doing these errands and chores before heading out for a holiday they can make coming home almost as pleasant as the vacation itself thank you so much for appearing on the travel show jackie Thanks for having me. So what made you think of doing this article? Uh, My husband and I went 
to to the Hague and in London to visit some friends. And when we were walking out the door, there um, we had a construction crew in our apartment building. It's an old Victorian uh, home, so it you know there's issues. And as we're walking out, they're like redoing the electricity, and we didn't think anything of it until my husband came home a few days before I got back and our electricity had been down for the whole week and a half that we had been gone. So the fridge was a mess. Oh my. Um, the apartment was a little stinky. And if we had just thought through to have our neighbors walk in and just double check that everything went okay with the electrical fix, um, sure, we would have not have walked into a disaster after a really jet lagged after a long, a yeah. long flight. So. But most, most people when they go on vacation don't have electrical work done right before they left, but you've given some very good tips for the common things that do happen. Like you say, and to be frank with you, I can't imagine ever doing this because I'm always in such a rush when I leave for a, a trip, but you recommend tidying up before you leave. Why? Yeah, and I think there's levels to do things that you probably need to do a week out and then maybe the day before and then as you're walking out the door. And I just, I think that, you know, we just let getting ready to travel take up all our time and then we end up leaving our, our homes in messier conditions than we're used to. And it's just such a terrible feeling to come home to. So, you know, just making a list where like, okay, you know, oh, um, a week out, I'm just going to start to throw out some condiments or some food I'm not going to need day uh, night before maybe sweeping and mopping and then as you're walking out the door taking out the trash and recycling you're just going to come back to a space that is not stressful the moment you walk in so that's something that um, I've been traveling a lot this year for work and it's just making a list of the things I want done has really made coming home a totally different experience and one of the things you have on your list is to put your mail on hold does that require having to go to the post office and stand online or how can you do that no they they have an online service that you can very easily sign up for you tell the uh postal service how long you're going to be gone and whether at the end of the time that you want to come in and collect the mail or if you want your mail carrier to bring it all in after your hold has um gone over and this is just, it's a good way, you know, if you get a lot of little packages, a lot of, you know, Amazon things or get a lot of magazines, you don't have a pile signaling to, you know, anyone walking by or nearby that someone is out of town. And again, yeah. nice thing not to come home and have a pile of mail um, yeah, absolutely. So this seemed the next tip seemed a little counterintuitive. And for those who are tuning in late, we are speaking with Jackie Snow, who writes every once in a while. She's a freelance writer, so she writes for many different publications, one of which is the New York Times travel section. She has an article called How to Get Ahead Before Going Away. So you've cleaned out your fridge and then you're going to restock the fridge. <laughs> Why is that? Seems uh, counterintuitive. Yeah, I just can't imagine trying to unpack and do laundry after a trip without some coffee, frankly. So just making sure I have enough coffee to get me through a few days is pretty essential. But then also if you, you know, get off a long flight or, you know, immigration has taken a while or you live a ways away from the airport, you might be hungry when you get home. So even having like a snack bar or two just ready for you is going to make sure you're not hangry as you're, you know, trying to unpack your life and get ready to go back to the real world.
Right. Another one is so important, and a lot of us forget to do this, and it's important in this time of climate change. We don't want to be squandering power. You say power down appliances before you go. Which which appliances use the most power, and which do you have to really remember to turn off? Yeah, I think it really depends, you know, how old your appliances are. So, you know, some of the older TVs are, can be really big energy sets. I think some of the newer models try to regulate that. Yeah. But, you know, for the most part, if it's you know, not your fridge, um, something that you obviously want to keep on, just going through and unplugging your, your everything that um, you can think of, your lights, your TV, your internet router, um, I think it really makes a lot of sense just Especially if this is, you know, a trip that's like, you know, a few weeks or a couple months, this is a great idea just to save you a few bucks and, yeah, contribute to, you know, living a more sustainable lifestyle. And it also can save you money. You say that the biggest savings could come if you turn off your water heater, which takes up 18% of the home's energy use. I had no idea about that. In fact, it's a great idea to be thinking about these things before any vacation. I don't know if you know this. There was a study once that showed, uh, was talking about happiness and vacations, whether we were happier before vacations, during or after. And most times people are not at all happy after vacations. They're bummed to be back. They have to catch up on anything. Well, this article will help. Go to the New York Times travel section. Thank you so much, Jackie, for appearing on the travel show. Yeah, thank you for having me. have three minutes remaining to today's in this hour yep in, in this hour of the travel show and let me talk about a major event that happened just recently the announcement by saudi arabia that it is now open to tourism it is issuing visas to tourism right. it is uh, w- working in companies like marriott hotels to build luxury hotels for the wave of tourists that they expect two or three days after they made that announcement they also issued clothing rules for female tourists going to Saudi Arabia, hmm. that female tourists were to cover up their shoulders and their and their knees. That's interesting because they had they had kind of at first said that there would be no regulations for the tourists well, visiting. But there are plenty of I regulations. There are probably that. many more to be expected. They will also investigate your suitcase to see whether there is any li- any uh, liquid in it, and they will smell the liquid to make absolutely certain that you are not bringing alcohol. Oh. Into the oh, wow. Dominican Republic, I'm not the Dominican, the Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia. I am wondering whether they will even serve alcoholic drinks within the bars. I, I doubt the, it. It seems to me that they would have to. Nobody is mm. going to go to a hotel where they could not get a drink. They, well, I mean, uh, hmm, that, that'll be interesting. Some other observers have pointed out that the uh, that the uh, issuance, or rather, if if a person is discovered as having stolen something, a set, oh. a, 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 even a petty theft, huh. their f- hand will be cut off <gasps> and and displayed uh, hanging as an exhibit in, in, a, in a village Public square place. Oh, uh, wow. nearby. Now, suppose you are mistakenly identified as someone who has brought, 
stolen something. Stolen something. Your hand will be cut off and and hung in, in as an exhibit <laughs> in the press. It's the last place in the world. It is the single most socially restricted area of the world that I would go to or advise anybody else to go to. I and would I'm also absolute, assume I, if you're uh, a LGBTQ person. This would not be a, a place you want to plan your next vacation. Because in, homosexuality right? is regarded as a crime there to be sure. punishable uh, by imprisonment or worse. I've Oof. even heard of people being executed for engaging in the act that they use the word sodomy to uh, to uh, describe. Just, sure. uh, it is not a country, in my opinion, that I would go to, and I've... I would think that most Americans will it's, uh, share it's that. It's a very that interesting it. thing that they are opening it up for tourism. I know for many centuries, obviously, people have gone to Saudi Arabia on pilgrimages to Mecca, but just for general touristic uh, uh, interests, it's it's. It, I think it's kind of like going to North Korea. I think you take your life in your hands. And because Pauline, you are not permitted to go to Mecca unless you are a Muslim. Right. You can't right. go there as a tourist to to see the the attraction of, of Mecca to watch. Sure. The, uh, the but you that the Hajj. But you yes. could go to to other parts of Saudi Arabia. But you'd have to be so careful. I would be so nervous because I would think you it would be easy to slip up and do something that could impact your life. We have to take a break. To anybody who is traveling, Dad. Let us wish you a hearty bon voyage.